It's the Creator Spaces show. Dan, I'm going to jump right into it. Are you a creator? I am a creator. What do you create? In my day-to-day, I've been creating experiences for as long as I can remember. A great example of that, when I lived in New York, I started a concert series called Subway Sets that brought the best musicians from the New York subway up to rooftops above the city for live concerts. And yeah, so it's a passion of mine. So would it be fair to say that when you say experience, you mean a live in-person event or otherwise timed participatory organized experience or event? No, I would say... Actually, I think we've all learned over the last year that in-person experiences are are certainly one way to bring people together. But of course, just because of the pandemic over the last year, we've had to learn more and more about how to bring people together through virtual experiences as well. So I think, yeah, I would say my definition of the word experience has evolved. But when I think about an experience, it's something it does have a live component. I think that's a great point, actually, that it does have to be live. But beyond that, I think it's a a bit of a a moving target. Yeah, it's it's something that literally you experience in the moment that if it was done right is memorable and it makes you feel something. I think that's important. It has to make you feel something. So yeah, that's where I'd go with it. Okay. And so walk me through how you ended up doing this, because I know you've got a varied background, to say the least. You're now, as you say in your current pin tweet, you're on the precipice of smashing success. And I'm really interested if you could dig in on maybe a few of the key moments where your thinking really shifted in how you operate either your career or you as a business. Sure. That's a great question. I think you heard me talk about time. One of the things that influenced how I think about time was when I was about 25 or 26 years old. I was on Twitter, just like how you and I met. And I saw that Jack Dorsey had announced he was going to be interviewing Bill Gates the next day. And he he asked people to submit questions. I threw out into the Twitter universe. Hey, Jack. Hey, Bill. Bill, the, the question I have, and this is, with all of the massive resources at your disposal, where do you feel least able to affect meaningful change? That's what I asked Bill Gates, and I never expected an answer, but a couple of days later, Bill Gates had responded, and he said, with all the money and the staff and the private jets, he said, the one thing I can't make more of is time, so I spend it very selectively, and I spend it you know, on my philanthropy, and I spend it with my family, and his big example was that he doesn't mow his own lawn, which I thought was funny because I actually really like to mow lawns. I think it's very meditative. But all that to say, that was a very foundational kind of moment in my life, learning how the man with the most money in the world had thought about the time. And you could always make more money. You could always buy more cars. You could always have another house. Time is the only non-renewable resource. Where were you in your journey at that point when you came to this realization about time? Had you really jumped into entrepreneurship yet? Yeah, so this was back in 2013. I was working at a venture capital firm in New York called Collaborative Fund. And uh, yeah, but uh, it was in the middle. I started my first business out of college. It was an internet marketing agency. So it it was in the middle of my entrepreneurial journey. I'd worked at startups at that point. I was 26 or 27 years old. So it was my career path. You could even call it a career at this point. Like what I've done, it's been working at smaller companies. It's been starting my own company. It's a very short-lived stint in VC. So at this point, just to answer your question directly, that was yeah when I was working in New York City at a venture capital firm. And so you went from venture capital to travel and helping teams go remote and developing these sorts of experiences. I understand the subway sets in between, but 
What was the moment when the switch clicked in your head that you needed to start going other places? Well, I got fired from that job in venture capital in New York because I had pretty serious disagreements with my boss, which was a bummer because uh, it was like my dream job. So I would say, yeah, it definitely, that was a pretty pivotal moment. I think from there, it meandered and turned and twisted. I spent some time at Lyft, the ride-sharing company Lyft in 2014 was when I joined Lyft. And, and this gets back to your question, right? That was where my journey took me next was to Lyft. What ended up happening at Lyft was I realized it was like, you know, it's actually not the best place for me because it was a small startup or medium-sized startup when I joined. It was 150 people and it went up to 600 in the 10 or so months that I was there. And that was a time where I said, that's something I need to make a change. I need to do something different. And I ended up leaving that job and riding my bicycle across the United States and then walking across Cuba. And that it was a bit of a life reset for me that I think I recognize now that almost five or six years down the line, it was 2020. That was a big reset for me. And so did you document all of this somewhere? You walked across Cuba, you rode your bike across America. Those are pretty impressive accomplishments. You know, lots of people built their fame on much less. Yeah, I took a lot of photos. I've written some about it. Some of the stories are on my medium. I wish I had written more. I definitely wish I'd written more. Oh, man, if you were to ask me what's a regret, I would say I wish I had more writing from that time. Man, that's like one of the only real regrets I think I have is that I didn't write as much as I would have liked. I'm curious, when did you start building your audience? Yeah, I, I've never really thought about it like that. I've been lucky to work in some interesting places to meet some pretty cool people who like I try to stay in touch with who do have audiences, right? But I'll be 100% honest, I do think about that a little bit more than I did before I just didn't think about it at all. Now I'm like, oh, wow, actually, if I have really awesome people follow me on Twitter, then like the work that I'm doing can have more impact because those people can amplify my voice. And also, perhaps we can collaborate in different ways. I never thought about it before, if I'm being honest. But now I think about it a tiny bit, not ever really in an organized way. But I do think about it a little bit now, not so much in terms of numbers. But just in terms of I hope and maybe that's just a proxy for I hope the things that I'm saying in the world are interesting enough for people to find value for people who I admire to find value in it and want to interact with. I want to talk a little bit more about your thoughts around not building an audience because it's pretty unique to take that sort of view and also be in the thousands of followers. It's funny. I just don't subscribe to the number of followers being important at all to a point, right? But really, I would say like I would rather have 100 followers and have those 100 followers be people that I super admire. And I could give you examples like this guy I used to work with, Kanye Makubela. He's KM on Twitter. That's a guy that I super, super admire. And if he was one of the 100 that followed me, I'd rather have him following me than 10,000 randos who maybe those 10,000 people are bots. So I think I think a lot about the quality over the quantity, I think, is a big one there. So obviously, you have a primary source of income with your job where you are CMO. Do you monetize any other ways? Do you have any other sources of income besides Unsettled? No, right now, I don't have any other forms of income. But... Did I read that story right that your prior work led you into this new role? 
It did, yeah. So for the last three years before the pandemic, I've been running my own travel company. And of course, that all came to a screeching halt in 2020 with the pandemic. And I ended up selling my company to another company started by two friends of mine called Unsettled with the idea being like, let's bound the rafts together and hopefully we can come out on the other side of the storm ahead and in one piece. And that was how that worked. And it actually worked out pretty good because we're really doing some pretty interesting things now. But yeah, that's what I did before I was I, I ran my own travel company. Normally, the next question I'd ask is, does your employer pay you more for the extra reach that surrounds you? But the fact that they acquired your company answers that question. What's your North Star metric for success? I would say I take my control and agency over my life extremely seriously. That's one thing that at this point in my life, I'm not prepared to compromise on. So that means I need to be able to spend my time as equally important where I am in the ways that I choose. So yeah, I think that's a big one for me. And what are your current goals? I'm very focused on Unsettled. And one of the things I'm very focused on is the product that we're focused on. It's called Team Journeys. And it's a month-long virtual experience that we sell to companies that helps them and their employees navigate this really historic transition from the office to remote and hybrid ways of working. And I'll give a little bit of historical context to Unsettled and what they did before I joined. Unsettled uh, was founded in 2015. And over the course of the last five years before the pandemic, they took thousands of people around the world on these 30-day co-working retreats and all around the world. They'd set you up with an awesome place to live and a co-working space. But really, I think what set them apart from the competition was this idea that they had a really intentional set of experiences over the course of those 30 days that helped people explore the possibilities that many people have in this world of remote and flexible work. What does it mean to be able to integrate your work in your life when you're able to work in these new and exciting ways? So all of that, of course, came to a screeching halt when the pandemic happened. That's when Unsettled bought my company. And where we went from there, what I really focus on Unsettled is thinking about how can we take that core competency and that expertise that we gain from helping thousands of people go on that journey of understanding flexible and hybrid and remote work and help use that experience and that core competency and that expertise to help companies and their employees as they navigate this like crazy, historical, really wild transition from 99% of employees in those kinds of businesses working in an office to now 99% of them working remotely. And what does that mean for those employees and for them to stay happy and healthy and feel like they're productive and like they belong in their organization? What does that mean? So that's the core question that we're answering and the problem we're trying to solve. I'm really interested in how you actually go about solving it. Sure, yeah. So we spent a lot of time thinking about that and how to do that and where we got to. And if you could see my face right now, I'd tell you I was demonstrating that I would have a mullet. It's like the classic 80s hairstyle. It's all business up front and party in the back. What that means in the context of, of Team Journeys is that the front of the mullet, right, the business end, is all about tools, tips, concepts to help employees navigate this world of remote work. So what that looks like in practice is asynchronous versus synchronous communication, like helping people understand what that means and how to do it effectively. It means showing people how they can set up their lives to create effective boundaries, right, between their work and their life when their office is their home and their home is their office. What does that look like? And it's all over Zoom right now, at least it's all interactive experiences. So it's four sessions 
over the course of a month that dive into those different questions. So that's what's happening on the front end. It goes a lot deeper there. What's happening in the back end, very much by intentional design, is that uh, the folks who are participating, in the employees of the company, they're learning by doing what does it mean to actually put those tools and tips and concepts into practice. And they're doing that by interacting, again, through very intentional design on the part of the designers at our company who are super talented. They're connecting very intimately within a very intentionally designed environment to connect and build intimate connections and community. I think and talk a lot about community because the word community, literally, it means a group of people who have the same objectives and the same values. And if you think about a company, that's the definition of a company, a group of people who have the same values or a company that has good culture anyway, same values, same objectives, everybody pushing towards the same things. So thinking about how you can foster community in an environment that's totally remote where people aren't having the same interactions that they were maybe exactly a year ago before this whole pandemic thing kicked off. Are you familiar with the hashtag build in public? Because not many people send a screenshot of their bank account balance out on Twitter. I am familiar with that build in public. I think it's pretty cool. Are you aware that you're doing it? To an extent, sure. I understand what it is and I think I exhibit some of those ideas. I'm really interested now. What made you want to share this much? That's an excellent question. If I'm being honest, I think some of it is marketing, right? Like as an example, I tweeted something along the lines of in the last week, I've done $60,000 in sales. If I'd known that B2B was so much easier than B2C, I never would have bothered with you lowly consumers. I got 2,000 likes. And Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, who's a, a podcast host that I respect a lot, he invited me to onto his podcast to talk about it. And like I shared that and it had some cool dividends. I think that's one part of it. That's just me being a marketer at heart. As I'm saying, build in public is a good way to get people on your side because people appreciate transparency. They appreciate vulnerability. That's one part of it, right? The other part is like, I'm almost 35 now. Like I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. I've learned a lot of things. I've learned a lot of really hard lessons, man. I've had these hard business lessons and I say, man, I would love for other people who maybe don't have to go through those hard things. Like maybe they can learn from my mistakes and hopefully at that point they can avoid having to make those mistakes themselves. 